Good morning. Welcome to our Phelps Health Program. We have uh, Summer Overshot in the studio with us. Uh, good morning, Summer. Good morning, Lee. Good to see you Two again. days in a row. Good. Day. This is great. I love this. Yeah, two days in a row. So we have another great topic today. We have Dr. Corey Offit with us, who is a family medicine physician with Phelps Health Medical Group. And he is going to be discussing more in depth about the COVID-19 vaccines because there still are a lot of questions that people have about that. Um, and Dr. Offit it knows a lot about it, which um, we're going to get to later on. But before we do, I know you've been on the program before, but again, yeah. please always, I always like an introduction yeah. to let people know who you are, how you kind of came about working at Phelps Health, and ultimately why you decide to stay here in practice. So I grew up in Missouri um, from Lebanon, went to undergrad in Springfield, did cell and molecular biology as my undergraduate degree at Missouri State, went to Mizzou for medical school, Kansas City for residency. So, I mean, I've been in Missouri my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, I came to Phelps because it's right in the middle of all of our family. It's a good uh, community to grow, like raise your kids in and things like that too. But Phelps really treats their employees and their patients um, like family. And I've been more than happy with the decision to be here, and it, I couldn't ask for a better place to work. Yeah, and you, ever since you've come here, um, you have just truly been a rock star. I mean, you have, your practice has just grown exponentially. Um, you're always taking new patients. Uh, you love your patients. You're always excited to get new ones. So uh, we will go into that later on. If you are looking for a primary care provider, Dr. Offit is a fantastic choice. So let's get into just some of what's happening. So lately we've been seeing a decline in the number of positive COVID-19 cases in Phelps County and, and the surrounding areas that we serve. Um, what do you think is contributing to that? So a lot of the decline has been, we did have mask mandate in Phelps County for a while and that helped significantly. And then the rollout of the COVID vaccines has helped exponentially. Mm -hmm. um, and we've actually seen a huge decline in uh, positive cases not just in Phelps, but across the country in general. So are you seeing um, less sick patients in your clinic as well overall? Because we were talking just before we came in just about the flu mm -hmm. a little bit and just RSV or different cases like that. Are you seeing a decline in most of these things this year? So this year, because everybody wears the majority of everybody has been wearing their masks, I personally have actually not had any positive flu cases or positive RSV cases. I know of a few positive flu cases here and there, but they're very, very few and far between. Um, and it's dropped off significantly. Yeah, I know we had Dr. Katie Cameron in here last week um, talking about that a little bit. And I just hadn't really thought about it much until she said it. And then I was like, obviously, right? Because she was saying, you know, people are saying, well, what happened to the flu? Like, it's a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Where'd the flu go, yeah. you know? But she was saying it stands to reason it's a virus. Yeah. So when we're wearing masks, we're keeping away from people and being very diligent about hand hygiene. It stands to reason that that's going to decline as well. And it's no different than whenever we see known flu cases in our clinics. Um, we always wear masks if we're going in potential flu cases in our clinic, too, like even outside of this year mm -hmm. um, previously. And that's why we as healthcare providers don't get flu all the time. It's right. because we're wearing our masks when we are around known flu cases. And getting vaccinated for that as Absolutely. well. So what can you tell us about the response, the vaccination response from Phelps Health? I know that you were saying again, just when we, we always like to chat a little before the show starts that you've just been truly impressed with Phelps Health's response from the beginning. I have. Um, it's been, it was kind of a cluster for all healthcare uh, facilities across the country and not just in Missouri with whenever COVID started, 
nobody really knew what to do, how to organize it. Phelps was one of the leading uh, healthcare systems in the state, setting up the drive-through testing facility and screening facility. And that was hugely impressive because it kept healthcare workers safe and minimized exposures across the board to where we could continue taking care of patients for their other ailments um, and chronic conditions. And so it was just a huge, huge push um, by our administration, by our medical providers and the organizers of the COVID response was just very, very impressive. So we started out with the kind of the respiratory screening station where we were, when we were screening for positive COVID cases, when that was kind of at its peak. Now we've kind of transitioned into these vaccination clinics. So how successful are those? And do you know how many approximate number of people that Phelps Health has vaccinated since its inception? So on the first part of it, with the transition away from the drive-up testing and screening facility, um, so that people can still get tested for COVID, we just don't have that drive-up Right, that's true. Good point. Um, So if they think that they've been exposed or have symptoms, they can contact their healthcare provider and they can let them know where they can go to get tested. Um, We actually test people in my clinic, but we have a system set up to where they contact us ahead of time. They actually park in a specific parking spot. Our lab personnel will come out and swab them out of their car, and then they can wait the 15 minutes. We'll test them, like we'll run it on the spot, and then we'll call them directly. If they're negative, they can come into the clinic for their clinic visit. If they're positive, I see them at their car. Um, And so we've got everything pretty well organized to still be able to test people. And then as far as the vaccination clinics are concerned, um, they've done a fabulous job of getting that organized. Phelps is one of nine spots in the state that is an approved vaccination site. So we're guaranteed a a certain allotment of vaccines every week. Um, So far they've vaccinated about 20,000 people through that vaccine clinic is what I was told yesterday. Um, And so it's been very, very successful. That's just an amazing, amazing number. And we're even getting positive feedback from people that are traveling far, quite Mm -hmm. far distances to come here to get vaccinated. Um, And just how impressed they are with how streamlined and efficient our system is. So again, I agree. I think we've just done an amazing job of getting that done. What vaccination phase are we in, is Missouri in, and what phase then does that mean for Phelps Health? So there's a couple different phases that they have. Let me pull it up real quick. And I believe we're in phase one, tier three, phase one B. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's each, including a lot of our educators. It is. Yes. And so first was the health, the healthcare workers, mm-hmm. frontline workers and things like that. And then it changed and went to um, anybody like nursing homes and whatnot. And then anybody that's high risk, 65 and older, mm-hmm. and now we're to the health or the school administrators, teachers, things like that too. And so, um, if you have any questions on that, you can always contact your clinic to see if you would qualify. Um, I know I've had several patients and even parents of like kids that can't get vaccinated, mm-hmm. that have high risk conditions, they, the parents would actually then qualify as well. Um, and we've been able to get them vaccinated to where their kids don't get sick. So you mentioned that we were approved vaccinator site for the state of Missouri, which means that we were um, guaranteed a certain allotment Mm -hmm. of vaccines. So how do we receive those? Is it kind of like once a week? And do how does that work? Can we order specific types or do we just have to get whatever they send us? So the state allots certain amounts. Um, I believe we're getting the Moderna vaccine right now. Um, 
and were allocated that specific vaccine. Mm-hmm. It's whatever the state buys at the time. Um, but then they're allotting two per person. And so we're getting enough to make sure that each person gets their second dose vaccine as well for that specific type. Because generally you want to get the same Correct. vaccine for the second dose because you don't have the exact same antibodies made from the first one. Hmm. That's interesting. So as far as we t- when we talk about Missouri and we're receiving the vaccines from the state, how does Mer- Missouri, excuse me, stand with um, vaccinating its residents? Where do we measure up cr- from the nation? Not great. Um, I think we are ranked 42nd out of 50 in regard to percent of population. <clears throat> We've only vaccinated about 20% of our population um, that has received at least their first dose. Only 11% of our population has received both doses. Mm-hmm. So we're we're making progress, mm-hmm. but we're, we're certainly not at the forefront as, no. as far as the state goes. No. So if someone can't make their second appointment date, because there are two of these vaccines that we're going to talk about in a few minutes do require a second dose. Why, you know, why can't they go somewhere else to get the second dose? Like say they, there's a certain day they're supposed to be back here and they can't do that. Why can't they go somewhere else and get that second dose? Which is what I alluded to a minute ago was that each vaccination site is given so many vaccines. They're given two two doses of that vaccine per person. And so it would basically interfere with that count and make it to where it's hard to track all of the vaccines, the numbers and potentially cause other vaccines to expire as well and go wasted. That makes sense. And Cindy Butler, um, who is the Administrative Director of Patient Care Services here, she had an analogy that I really liked. It was was a quite simple analogy, but I I liked it. Basically, she was saying what she tells people is it's like when you are given a pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. You aren't going to give somebody one pair of shoes and then give somebody else the one pair, just one shoe again. So basically, it's like that is allotted for you. That pair of shoes, you get the one, you get the two but you're not gonna just take one and then leave somebody else with one shoe too. Exactly. So it just doesn't add up. No. Somebody's going to get kind of, um, they're not gonna get what they need when that's done that way. Yep. So is there a window of opportunity then for people that maybe can't come back on that second dose day? Can they come a little early? Can they come a little later? I've heard some different things about that as well. So this actually happened back in February whenever we had the snowstorm. Um, People couldn't get in to the clinic to get their second dose. And our shipment was also delayed on the vaccine to get for the second doses as well. And it's okay to delay it a very short period of time. So up to six weeks after your first dose has been shown to still be equally as effective at creating the immune response necessary. After six weeks, they don't know. That wasn't included in any of the studies as of yet. But to be safe, just really try to get it as close to your time as you can, right? If you want the peak immune response, ideally go right at the three and four week mark, depending on which vaccine you get. So how long does it take for someone to build immunity up after their second dose? A minimum of two weeks um, is needed to actually start to build antibodies um, after the vaccine has been given. And so ideally a little bit longer than that. So you are still able to get infected even immediately after getting the vaccine because you haven't built up that immunity yet. Correct. So if you get sick in those first two weeks, it's not from the vaccine because the vaccine cannot give you COVID. Um, It is not a live virus and we'll get to that kind of in a minute um, and how that vaccine works. And there's actually no viral particles in there whatsoever Mm -hmm. into that vaccine. 
So let's talk a little bit about the vaccines then that have currently been approved for use. We have Pfizer, Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson, yep. which just came out. Pfizer and Moderna are both two-dose shots, and then the Johnson & Johnson is a one. Um, what are the differences and similarities with these? So efficacy is different amongst all three of them. Um, the Pfizer and Moderna are equally about 95%. I think there's like maybe a half a percent difference between the two. Um, and then the Johnson Johnson was, I believe, 65% effective at preventing um, infections. But if you, in similar to like the flu shot, if you would get infected, it's much, much less severe. Um, and then any, if you're able to get any of the vaccines, whatever one's available is optimally the best one you can get. Right. Um, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are what are called mRNA vaccines. Um, the Johnson & Johnson is a viral vector vaccine, meaning they use a different type of virus to insert uh, a part of the COVID vaccine or COVID virus to, so that we can develop immunity to it. Um, and so, but the adenovirus that they use in the Johnson & Johnson is an inactivated virus, so it cannot make you sick either, other than just a normal immune response. So we've talked a lot and, and we've been trying to get you to come in to kind of do this on video, but you're, you are just so busy, which I'm so glad. Don't get me wrong. I am thrilled that yeah. you are that busy because I'm glad you're helping patients. That's, that's priority. But can you, you have really done a lot with patient education. That is something that's very, very important to you. It is. About how to educate people on why they should get the vaccine and what it really means. Because there's a lot of myths out there about what is, it, what is put into these vaccines. And you kind of dispel that for people. And you've said that the way that you explain it to people, they find they really understand it. It's yeah. something that they can understand and then they can make an informed decision. Can you do that on air at yeah. all? So with the mRNA vaccine, so my background in undergraduate was cell and molecular biology, so literally the study of DNA and RNA. And with RNA vaccines, what it is, is they basically took the COVID spike protein, and which is what the virus uses to infect us, and they threw it in a genetic analyzer, found out the sequence of the amino acids that make the COVID uh, spike protein, and then they were able to put that sequence of amino acids together in a lab, without using the spike protein whatsoever, so nothing from the virus, they just know the sequence. Mm -hmm. And then they were able to make the mRNA, which is basically genetic information that's instructions. mRNA is instructions. So kind of like a blueprint is the way I was yeah, explained it. It's messenger RNA. It's mm -hmm. basically a way for part of your body to tell your body to do something else. It's the messenger. Mm -hmm. And so then they encapsulated that in what are called nanophospholipids, which is basically fat and to allow the mRNA to remain stable after it's injected and not break down immediately, your body is filled with nanophospholipids as well. So already naturally occurring in your body and mRNA, the amino acids, your body already includes all of those as well. That is literally all of that is in the vaccine. And I always tell patients, I'm like, the vaccine is not actually a vaccine. It's actually basically information for your body to make its own vaccine. So whenever they inject the mRNA, your body recognizes that as mRNA, a certain part of the cell takes the mRNA up, makes DNA out of it, which then codes for the COVID spike protein. Your body makes the COVID spike protein itself and immediately recognizes it as abnormal because it's never seen it before and then makes antibodies against it. And so there's nothing viral in the vaccine whatsoever. Once it's actually injected, it's been shown to actually break down within two to three days in your body to where it's actually not hanging around anywhere. It doesn't infect your own DNA or anything like that. 
it's just it's basically instructions for your body to make its own vaccine. So that's one of the the things that we've heard um, is that it somehow alters your DNA. No, no way, shape, or form. It's not possible, no. is it? Um, and and so basically, it is stuff that we our, our body already has. Mm -hmm. It's nothing really foreign because it's or the body already has these things. Yes. So what what do you say to people that another um, thing I've heard is it was just done too quickly. So. One, money talks. So whenever you throw a billion dollars at something, things can get done really fast. Mm -hmm. um, mRNA vaccines are not new idea. They've actually been studied for quite some time, um, particularly back in 2009, whenever SARS was an issue, um, which was more of an issue overseas than it was in the United States. But they started studying mRNA vaccines then, and they actually made it through the phase one clinical trials. Mm -hmm. um, but then SARS went away. And so funding went away. So research stopped. Um, so whenever COVID came about, they were able to pick back up where that left off. And now they all of a sudden have more funding than they even did in 2009. And so things can get done a lot faster. And it does not take very long to make mRNA. I've actually done, I actually made mRNA in a lab in undergrad myself. Like we actually duplicated our own DNA. So we took a cheek swab, made our own DNA out of it, made mRNA out of that, made it back into DNA, made our own DNA. And so I was able to do that in a couple three-hour labs. Okay. So, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a lengthy process to make it mm -hmm. as opposed to other vaccines that take a little bit longer. Right. That makes sense. So what are some of the common side effects of the vaccine? Um, what are just some... For me, I had a sore arm um, um, and I had a headache the second time with the sore arm. But like I said before, I get headaches all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot due to eye strain with the computer use. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I can't I couldn't really tell was that because of that or was it just because it's something that I normally get? And it could have been. So normal immune response, basically headaches, body aches, fevers, feeling fatigued. Um, you can have some nausea and everything with it as well. But just your traditional immune response that you would have to any kind of virus um, is can be expected, but doesn't happen for everybody. Some people's are more severe than others, um, but they generally subside within two to three days. Mm -hmm. um, I don't actually know a single person personally that has gotten the vaccine and had symptoms for longer than three days. Now, uh, particularly the second dose vaccine seems to affect people more significantly than the first dose if you've not previously been exposed or had COVID in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I had personally already had COVID. I actually had no issues with the vaccines whatsoever, but I know people who had very mild COVID who had significant symptoms with the first vaccine that, I mean, they did fine after the two to three days. Take Tylenol and ibuprofen like you would normally would for those same symptoms, and they generally are pretty tolerable. So what would you say to people that don't want to get the vaccine because they're concerned about the side effects and the things that they've heard? So having COVID is much worse than the side effects that you would have from a vaccine. And the long-term effects of being infected with COVID, I guarantee you are much worse than any potential side effects that you would have for a few days with the COVID vaccine. I know I've had a lot of patients be like, there's been so many people that have had negative reactions to it. <clears throat> there's actually a big study recently about the Bell's palsy concern. There was actually no association of Bell's palsy with the vaccines. Um, there, it's actually in the clinical trials that they reported the Bell's palsy patients, there's actually a higher incidence in the general population of Bell's palsy than those actually included in the clinical mm -hmm. uh, trials. With I the read vaccines. the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, the people are worried about anaphylactic reactions to the vaccine. 
and I read last night that there was, I think, like 60-some-odd anaphylactic reactions reported in the United States after COVID vaccine. That's with several million people getting the vaccine. So it's about two and a half out of a million people as is the risk for anaphylaxis, which is a very, very, very small risk. Right. And, and part of the reason why you're, you're asked to wait the 15 to 30 minutes afterward is to make sure that you don't have some sort of response. And if you do, that you have those healthcare professionals right there exactly. to help you. And so generally anaphylaxis occurs most commonly within the first 15 to 30 minutes after any kind of uh, exposure to something that you're going to have anaphylaxis to. Can it happen later? Potentially, yes, but it's much less likely. So, so far, how effective have the vaccines been at preventing hospitalization and death? Significantly. Um, I don't believe anybody that has contracted COVID that I read, there was one study that I read that I believe the hospitalization rate is decreased by 85 to 90%. The death rate, there has not been anybody that has contracted COVID after the COVID vaccine that actually died. It's amazing. To me, that's a significant Absolutely. So the benefits far outweigh the risks as far as getting the vaccine Absolutely, 100%. So how can people register for a COVID vaccine at Phelps Health? So if you've already been established with Phelps Health, you can log into your MyChart account. There is a, if you go into the questionnaires Mm -hmm. in MyChart, you can actually sign up for the vaccine clinic on there. Uh, you can contact your healthcare provider. They can give you instructions on how to get signed up for it. You can also, through your healthcare provider, get con- uh, put onto a list to be called to get, schedule an appointment as well. I know I do that a lot for my elderly patients mm-hmm. that aren't IT savvy, right? To where they don't have to mess with getting on a computer or anything like that. We call them and schedule an appointment. Um, and then going on to Phelps's website, I believe there's a link on there as well to get signed up for it. So when do you think, I know this is kind of asking you to predict the future, so just give us your best guess. And if you don't know, just say you don't know. But do you, when, do you think that herd immunity is going to be any, is it within our reach at all? So right now, I think general population, we're at, across the country, a little over 20% have been vaccinated. Um, if we stay on track to do at the rate we are now, they said potentially we could be at 70% around August. Um I know federal government's wanting to open up vaccines to everybody, 100%. Everybody can get vaccinated by May 1st Mm -hmm. to where people can gather in smaller groups for 4th of July and things like that. Um, It's within reach if people would... Do what they need to do. Exactly. Which is... Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. And and in the meantime... And it's not just... And people need to realize it's not just about individual people. Mm-hmm. It's about everybody. It's about our community. It's about people that can't get vaccinated, children, because um, the vaccines are only approved for 18 and older, with the exception of the Pfizer's approved for 16 and older. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still your older kids. Exactly. And so there are younger kids that are higher risk. There's patients that can't get um, the vaccine because they can't develop an immune response. So patients that are on like chemotherapies, things like that, that may not mount a good immune response. Um, just we have to protect those higher risk populations. So across the board, um, just to sum up, you are a huge advocate for being vaccinated. Absolutely, 100%. And you are always willing to help talk 
that through with anyone that has concerns or questions, right? I mean, you're every so single, good about that. Every single patient that comes into my office, I ask them if they have questions on the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. And you're willing one. to sit down with them and talk mm-hmm. it through. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So we've been speaking today with Dr. Corey Offit. Again, he's a family medicine physician with Phelps Health Medical Group. You are always accepting new patients. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you love patients. Yep. You lo- The more, the better. That's your pretty much and your I motto. <laughs> see kids and adults both. Yes, so. yes, all ages. So you can call 573-364-8822 and establish care with him. If you missed part of the show or would like to listen to it again, please visit phelpshealth.org. Thank you, Dr. Offit. Thank you so much.